Welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by John Hudson, co-manager of the Premier Mighton UK Growth Fund. John Hudson joined Premier Mighton in October 2007 and has worked as an investment manager and analyst in the UK equity team since 2013. He is a CFA charter holder and has a BA degree in economics and management from the University of Leeds. So, um, Mighton UK Growth, I, I guess the uh, some of the uh, clue is in the title, but could you, apart from the objectives, perhaps explain the investment style of the fund to us? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, very simplistically, the objective of the fund is to achieve long-term capital growth. Um, the benchmark of the fund is the FTSE All Share Index. So, my co-fund manager, Benji, and I were basically trying to seed that over the, the medium and long term. So I guess how do we set about doing that? Um, we're effectively looking to invest in a portfolio, so sort of 40 to 16 stocks listed in the UK that can exhibit uh, a combination of quality, growth, and valuation. Um, so when I mean quality, I mean companies that generate high returns on their invested capital, have high cash conversion and very strong balance sheets. When I talk about growth, we're looking for structural growth winners rather than challenge companies. We're looking for companies that we think the forecasts in the market are too conservative and therefore are likely to, to exceed those. And then we have that sort of strong valuation discipline, which is what we focus on really is the peg ratio and we, and we target a level below sort of two times. So. So when we put those factors all together, we think we've got a sort of portfolio of companies that are we have a sort of level of protection on the downside. So in terms of companies being permanently impaired or more shareholders' capital being permanently impaired, we have protection mechanisms like the high cash conversion and strong balance sheets. So we think we can sort of do it pretty well to avoid a lot of losing stocks, if you like, and and therefore, once we sort of factor in the sort of structural growth companies over time, I think there's going to be some plenty of winners within the portfolio too. Is it, is it fair to say from that that uh, you, you tend to be looking at the uh, smaller end of the market, if only in terms of the fact that potentially that's where much of the growth may come from? It's a good question. So it's very much a multi-cap fund. Um, so the way we think of it is a sort of third large, third mid and third small cap. Um, we do like the mid small cap sector of the market just because it's just a much less researched area of the market. We think we can find opportunities where we can have plenty of alpha. So with that in mind, what is the uh, sector allocation of the fund currently looking like? So Benji and myself will be the first to admit, despite having that sort of economics degree that you mentioned, we're not macroeconomic experts. We, we like to see ourselves as bottom-up stock pickers. Um, and as a consequence, we like to have a pretty broad spread in terms of sectors. So we're not necessarily reliant on any one macroeconomic theme to drive our performance. Um, that being said, um, we do have some sort of sectors that are unlikely to feature in the fund just simply because they don't make our our criteria that we want. So, for instance, the utility sectors, just for us, they don't offer the growth and they don't offer the returns and invested capital that we think make it a good investment opportunity. Um, and we will sort of lean the portfolio in areas you know that we do like. So, um, a particular sector we like is the video game sector at the moment, which is huge. It's sort of going through structural growth. I mean, it is so big, actually. It's bigger than the film and music industries combined. Oh, wow. 
And as a consequence, you're seeing the likes of uh, Amazon, Google, um, all trying to sort of come into this market. And for, the, for those IP developers, um, you know, we think that the long term outlook for them is very positive. Um, so, so the way we sort of do manage the portfolio is we like to have a really widespread in terms of valuations, sectors, market caps. Um, and that really allows Benji and I's bottom up stock picking effectively to sort of come through, generate the alpha and, and the good returns. Okay. Look, I think you've already, uh, teased the answer to this question, but, uh, could you maybe talk us through, uh, one or two of your top holdings at the current time? Yeah. So, well, I'll give you a, a growth one and a more of a valuation one because, you know, we're not necessarily reliant on any one style factor. So in terms of growth, well, our top pick actually is, uh, well, top holding in the fund is Frontier Developments, which is in the video game sector. Um, the reason we like this company is it's, it was founded 25 years ago. Um, it's still run by its founder, David Brabant. And it, historically, it was developing games on behalf of other publishers like Microsoft. Um, but what it's done in the past decade is actually start to publish its own games. So develop its games and publish them themselves. So it gets a lot more of the economics. And so far, it's done four games. They've all been very successful. The returns on investment have been uh, phenomenal for all four games. So it's a very attractive business model. And, and why we, despite the fact that he had a very good year last year, obviously the video game sector did benefit from, from people being stuck indoors and therefore playing and buying more computer games. Um, what it has meant is there's, there's more consoles now in circulation. So that the, the player base is now bigger. And, and what Frontier Developments has been quietly doing over the past two to three years is it's been really increasing the headcount its workforce within the company. And, and what these new heads are doing within the business is they're working on games due for release in two, three, four years time. That's how it takes to develop a game. So, so when me and Benji look out into the forecast for this company, we can see the, the growth is very much firmly in its own hands. It's not reliant on, on the macro economy um, to deliver its earnings potential. Um, and, and when we look at what these games are, so it's using IP such as Formula One, so it's made for a Formula One management game. It's made using another one of our holdings uh, games workshops, Warhammer franchise, and it's using an unlicensed. So they, they've announced that they're going to use a licensed get. Uh, IP on a game. So the last time they did that was using Universal's Jurassic Park franchise, which was their most successful game. So we think the roadmap of game releases for this company is very exciting. And when we look at the forecasts out there, like I mentioned, how we sort of spend a lot of time analyzing the sort of forecasts out there in the market, we think there's a plenty of scope for this company to, to beat those expectations. So that's why we like fronted developments. I think on the on the value end of the spectrum, um, we like a company called Jet2. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with Jet2, it is soon to be the UK's largest holiday company. So it's most likely to overtake TUI this year. Um, the, that market itself obviously has had a very tricky uh, 12 months with, with lockdowns and people aren't able to go on holidays. But the reason we like this company is because it's by far the, the most, the world's the best capitalized uh, company in the sector. So we obviously saw Thomas Cook go out of business last year. Um, TUI has a, to be quite frank, a dreadful balance sheet that's going to sort of limit its ability to take advantage of the, the real pent-up demand we're likely to see um, when you know, holidays are allowed again. Um, to put into context, 70% of people who would usually go abroad last year weren't able to do so. So 
when we do see these travel corridors open, the flights book out in, you know, in minutes. Um, so there's a plenty of demand there. We think uh, Jet 2 is, is well-placed to capitalise as of when that happens. Yeah, it's come at a strange time because we've um, there's an imminent FTSE 100 reshuffle and uh, knocking on the door with a possible promotion. It's a company called Wizz Air. Um, and it seems like an unusual time for anything um, airline or indeed uh, travel related um, to be, um, you know, having um, the benefit of investor intention. I guess that's predicated uh, on the pent up of demand that you're describing. Yes, uh, I mean the good things about these sort of stressed periods is is those com- the best companies actually tend to shine through, and the opportunities on the other side are are, are great for for the winners. And, and Wizz Air would be another example. It's a low, it's the lowest cost in terms of economics per seat, the whole of the airline industry, and it had a very strong balance sheet. So the winners will will come to the fourth, and you know unfortunately the losers. Um, you know, I think Norwegian, for instance, has had to scale back its UK operations. So those companies with uneconomic business models on stretched balance sheets. So, you know, when it's been a difficult period for Jet2 um, and the likes of Wizzair, but actually when we look through what the potential on the other side is going to be, the, the prospects of both companies look really rosy. Now, in terms of the UK, obviously, at least we're looking at Brexit uh, in the rearview mirror now, albeit that um, some of the implications of that are starting to wash through. Uh, we're also very aware of the um, situation the government has needed to place itself in, in terms of furlough schemes, general borrowing, and so on. Um, that's quite apart from um, the, the broader picture and, and the um, pandemic-ridden 2020 that we had. With all that in mind and given that difficulty, how, how has your fund uh, been holding up over this um, extraordinary period? Yes, I guess, I mean, the extraordinary period probably started in March last year and, and we, the fund did take a little hit instantly, um, you know, being having two-thirds of portfolio in small caps, we did get caught up in the market volatility, but actually it recovered very strongly. And I think a, a big part of that is because we have, we were well positioned going into it in terms of those features I mentioned earlier, like a strong balance sheet and high cash conversion. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of CEOs knocking on the door, sort of asking us for, for capital raises. So we, we did recover quite well. I think we sort of were quite active last year, actually, in, in terms of, you know, we didn't necessarily want to predict the economic environment. We didn't necessarily want to predict whether, when, COVID was necessarily going to go or get worse. So again, it's we had that sort of broad spread of um, sectors uh, with strong balance sheets, uh, and we sort of just looked to position ourselves in those companies we had. You know, we're getting caught up in the sell-off and had we high conviction um, ideas. Uh, and BNM bargains, for instance, will be a great example where the shares fell thirty percent during the March sell-off, but actually. It was deemed an essential retailer. A lot of people were flocking to its stores because rival stores were closed, and, and actually that business did, did very well. So we, we sort of ended up coming out of the year. Uh, we did pretty well, and we significantly outperformed the market. Um, in more recent times, year to date, uh, I'd say we're sort of in line with the market um, over the first of the month or two. But there is that sort of underlying value rotation that's sort of going on through the market with the sort of rising. Uh, inflation levels and so get, you know the, a value rotation doesn't necessarily fill us with fright because historically we do have that value element to the portfolio um but 
in an ideal situation, it's not the most helpful. But um, I think we, we sort of see actually still plenty of opportunities um, for the fund going forward. And, and I assume that the um, the very fact um, that you've already mentioned the stocks like Frontier Developments and Games Workshop, um, I assume they would have been somewhat caught up in in the whole um, e gaming um, kind of scenario, which is coming through particular particularly uh, in in the younger generation as well, and of course with more and more people being uh, being locked down. Yeah, so they were, they were certainly beneficiaries. So again, it's having that sort of broad spread if you like so we're not necessarily reliant we have the with companies like frontier um and games Workshop on one side but then we have the companies that we think stand to benefit from the recovery in terms of jet two and, and gym group on the other side and yeah, but, but, but we're quite happy to hold you know the likes of frontier and games workshop for a long term because like i said we just think actually while they did benefit last year there's still you know the growth potential for them both is absolutely phenomenal over the next sort of five to ten years so so what is your kind of outlook from from here john obviously you've already said that uh you prefer to potentially look bottom up rather than uh top down but um increasingly we're going to hear that this pent-up demand will be uh, uh hopefully released in the second half um of 2021 by the same to- token there's some inflation worries starting to surface uh, surface with the amount of uh, loose monetary policy that we've had and so on. How do you see things unrolling over the next uh, 12 to 18 months? And I realise that's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah, so I think when we look forward the way we're sort of managing the fund, we're just keeping keep on doing what we're doing. I think we're probably putting a little bit more tilt in favour of the, the value bucket. But, you know, by all means, you know, we're making sure we don't compromise on the, on the growth and and the quality to do so. So we are finding good good ideas. I think for us in particular, we're finding the IPO market, which was almost shut off last year, um, a really sort of interesting area where we're, we've already taken part in two IPOs this year, um, one of the more value spectrum um, called Supreme and another one called Moon, Moonpeg, the online card retailer. Um, and we're looking at a couple more at this present time. But I think uh, I'm actually quite optimistic for the UK. Um, believe it or not, Richard, I think it's been a long time coming. And uh, I think when you when you talk about the pent-up demand, you look at the savings ratio statistics, and which were sort of averaged 20% last year, and they'll be quite high so far this year. So, you know, the consumer hasn't done that out of choice. They just they physically can't spend their money. And, and I can see every reason that when they can start spending again, they're going to do so, I think. Consumers are pretty confident about their actual personal finances according to the latest trends. So, so again, we're looking at that sort of area of the market where we can sort of take advantage of that theme. And we obviously have some existing shareholdings that will benefit from that theme, but we're going to continue to look because I think it's a reasonably straightforward and, and low risk theme actually to, to play uh, over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. But I think you have to remember in the UK that. You know, the economic environment wasn't great since really the Brexit election. So, you know, even business investment, you know, should start to come through as sort of lower uncertainties. So I think with the vaccine rollout sort of ahead of where the Europeans and, and elsewhere, actually the UK should be normalized a lot quicker than elsewhere. And, and there's a lot of pent up demand, both in terms of consumer spending and business spending. So, and I think you're starting to see that now with international inflows coming back to the market and yeah. the UK market is also deemed a value proxy index. So I think it's actually a lot of factors are ticking in the right way for the UK stock market. Yeah. 
Yeah, we do indeed like to uh, finish on a positive note, and indeed that was fun. So uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. So many thanks again for your time, John, and for those uh, very valuable insights. That's John Hudson, co-manager of the Premier Michael UK Growth Fund. And thank you for listening. Uh, please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.